Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Part of the reason why I embraced the title of the Blind Soprano, or the brand, I guess you could say, is uh, because it forces me to fully own the fact that I am blind very in a very public way. So there's no getting away from it. There's no hiding it. There's no running behind, you know, any other titles or any, anything on my CV, you know, and it admits that, yes, I am blind. If you have any questions, ask me. And we'll be talking with the person behind that wonderful music and why she calls herself the blind soprano. We'll speak with Christina Jones about how she became interested in music as a youth, how she dealt with losing her eyesight as she got older, and the challenges she has had to overcome as a professional opera singer, both on stage and off. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Christina Jones. To be honest with you, my tip for people who want to go into vocal performance, or just in general, is to play to your strengths and figure out what your strengths are and work with that. You know, don't try to be something that you're not. Well, and I guess you've certainly demonstrated that in your career and how you interact with people. Mm-hmm. I try anyways. <laughs> and I think that advice applies to many areas of life. Many of us are good at some things, but not good at other things. And Sometimes it takes a team to work on some projects, and we each do the parts that we're best at. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping That was a brief excerpt of Christina Jones singing with pianist Brenda Varda and performing Goodnight Moon, which you may be familiar with as a very popular children's book. So let's start by meeting Christina. My name's Christina Jones, and I also market myself as the Blind Soprano and I'm a classically trained singer and a voice teacher. And the reason you call yourself the blind soprano is? Honestly, um, the reason why I call myself the blind soprano was a lot of people, whenever I go audition for something, I have a really generic name, Christina Jones. And it's also, it's also a bit of a misleading name for me. I'm half Asian and half Welsh. And so whenever people see my name, they automatically think, uh, you know, like a white blonde woman is going to walk through the door or something. And I am neither of those things. So presumably both blind and soprano are accurate representations. Yes. Yes. And you've been blind since birth? Pretty much. Yeah. My cause of blindness is ROP, retinopathy of prematurity. And I was born with low vision, and then eventually I became totally blind. 
Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Christina's experiences as a professional singer. So today we want to talk about your career as a blind musician and some of your training you had to go through to get there, some of the challenges you might have had to overcome, and how it works being blind. But maybe you can tell us how you got interested in music in the first place. I think the reason why I'm interested in music is not necessarily because I'm blind, but um, I was with the youth program um, with the Braille Institute, and there was a choir that they started when I was about eight. And so they, they like shoved all the blind kids into this room <laughs> and um, had us, you know, go with this choir director. And I just, for whatever reason, it's, you know, it's, I didn't particularly love it. I didn't particularly hate it at the time. You know, I was, I was a kid. So I was just like, all right, this is just what we do. And so, you know, I just kept with it. And, you know, at one point in high school, you know, I found that I really enjoyed it. And my choir director asked me at one point, you know, Christina, what do you want to do when you're, you know, what do you want to do in college? And the, I had kind of been dabbling between majoring in English or other things. And I was like, you know, I want to be a choir director just like you. So that's how I started with music. And I auditioned into Cal State Fullerton specifically to get my choral conducting degree and study with Rob Eistad there. And while I was in college, I did opera scenes as part of a, like a, a degree requirement to do, you know, to take part in like a, a chamber ensemble. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So that's how I got into opera. <laughs> wow. Well, that's an interesting journey through all of that. It seems to me there are plenty of blind people who sing, no problem with that. But the aspects of music that you seem to gravitate to are the ones in which your blindness would create the biggest challenges. Performing opera, you have to be on a stage, following a choir director, being a choir director. How do you get around any of those challenges? Well, to be frank, I've been really lucky in in that I I have come across a lot of directors and staging people in my life that were just like, okay, let's figure this out, you know. And even even there, you know, there were even some times where I was just like, I don't know if I could do this, you know. Um, there were some bits of staging that I had to do that were extremely physically active. And I had to like run around and figure date patterns around furniture. And I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. And so, you know, the directors that I worked with at the time were really creative and they were just like, no, we can, we can do it. We can figure it out. Why don't we use a prop? And, you know, cause they were just like, well, your you know, your character is this, your character is that. So why don't we use a prop and you could just slam it around and it's not a cane necessarily, but it's something that you could use to keep your orientation. And I was like, okay, you know, and we tried that and it worked. And I was like, great, we can use what's on stage and part of my character to, you know, to make this work. And, and I think because of the, you know, the, the really, really great people that I've been really blessed to be surrounded by, you know, I was able to get that groundwork as far as, okay, well, I mean, anything's possible as long as 
we figure out what's what's within my comfort zone for one and even what's not in my comfort zone and figure out a creative way to get through it. Well, that's a great idea. I like the idea of using the props as a navigation aid. We just recently moved into a new house. And let me tell you, when it was empty without the furniture, <laughs> it was a lot more disorienting. But just putting some furniture there gave me some guideposts and places to navigate around. It was very helpful. Exactly. So it sounds like you were lucky in terms of having people that were willing to work with this paradigm and think about doing things in a slightly different way. Exactly. And usually more often than not, I've never come across anybody on stage who have been like, no, I absolutely refuse to work with this person because of Obama, you know, like when I've been cast in something, you know, I'll usually ask my you know fellow cast members, hey, if I get disoriented, just do me a favor, take a step or something, brush your foot along the floor or, you know, have a bit of a, you know, like a sniff or something so that I can hear where you are. And so that I know I'm doing something dumb. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I'm really working closely with the people that are on stage with me you know and if it's for whatever reason it's like I'm um you know a solo scene or whatever and there is nobody on stage with me then I just have to really you know listen to where the orchestra is or listen to where the pianist is or just you know rely on like the cracks in the ground or something you know and and it works out you know it's it's nerve-wracking and it's a bit stressful sometimes but it's also really exciting and it's you know i don't know it's it's really rewarding and i'm really appreciative you know of the opportunity for one but also of my fellow cast members who are usually more than happy to save me if i ever screw anything up on your website you refer to yourself as a dramatic coloratura soprano yes <laughs> What does that mean? So a dramatic coloratura soprano is just a voice type. It's basically a fancy way of saying that I sing loud and I sing high <laughs> and I sing fast. So it's just, it basically tells directors or whoever is trying to look for whatever, what kind of roles my voice tends to fit well with. So this may be a stupid question. I know sopranos sing high. You speak low. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how it works. Apparently it does. <laughs> and I thought we were going to learn the mystery of how that works. I don't know. <laughs> no secrets, huh? No, not 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 as far as that goes. It's really funny because most people think whenever they hear me speak, they think I'm an alto or a mezzo. And I'm like, no, I'm a soprano. <laughs> So you talked about how you work with your colleagues and the props on stage and you make people feel comfortable about giving you advice and the kinds of help that you need on stage. And, you know, I think that that works well for people you know and that you've been working with for a while. I've noticed that from my own colleagues at work, they've often been very helpful. But before you know these people, I wonder if there's some reticence from people about accepting a blind person and questioning your abilities. Definitely. For me personally, how I handle that is, you know, once upon a time, I used to just go in there and, you know, not mention the fact that I was blind at all, like anywhere on my CV or on my website or anywhere. There was no mention that I was blind. And I would just kind of walk in and be like, they're just going to be surprised, you know. And sometimes that worked fine. But sometimes a lot of times it would really catch them off guard. And I think it made them uncomfortable with asking me questions 
you know, so now, and, you know, part of the reason why I embraced the title of the blind soprano or the brand, I guess you could say, is uh, because it forces me to fully own the fact that I am blind very in a very public way. So there's no getting away from it. There's no hiding it. There's no running behind, you know, any other titles or any anything on my CV. And it admits that, yes, I am blind. If you have any questions, ask me. And I also, you know, at the end of my audition, after they hear me sing or whatever, I always say at the very end of my auditions now, you know, so obviously I'm blind. You know, do, do you have any questions about like how I learn music or how I wipe my butt or, <laughs> you know, or any of those things? And I say it in a funny way so that they feel a little bit more comfortable. And that's, you know, that's my personal style. But, you know, other people have to find their personal way of saying, you know, it's, a, you know, giving people permission to ask questions if they're open to that. Yeah, I have very much that same attitude. And I think it's been very successful for me. You know, I try to own the fact that I'm blind. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. my main distinguishing feature, but I try to make people feel comfortable about asking questions because I'm sure they have questions. And, you know, I'll often make some jokes about it just to indicate to people that, you know, hey, it's not such a big deal. We can actually talk mm -hmm. about this if you need to talk about it. And it sounds like you operate in a very similar fashion, making people feel comfortable with your situation. Yeah. In fact, there have been numerous times when we've been with a crowd of friends and someone will tell a joke about Pete's blindness and everybody laughs and the new people are appalled because, you know, we're socialized not to make fun of people's differences. And Pete will turn to them and say, it's okay to laugh. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we've done a number of episodes where we've spoken with people about getting a job and... Really, a musical audition is like a job interview, only you're doing it over and over and over. And most people hopefully only have to do it every few years <laughs> or even less often. So, you know, you're really experiencing this. How and when do I reveal that I can't see during this interview slash audition process? Yes, you know, and everybody has a different approach to when you bring it up. Yes. And everyone has a different approach to like what they're what they're comfortable with. And I think, you know, for me, I, I found what generally works for me. And to be honest with you, from situation to situation, it, it differs. So, you know, there are some times where you're cast in something where they really need somebody, but they, they haven't really seen you fully. And, you know, it's not like I have my guide dog or my cane in my headshot. It's just my headshot. And it's not immediately evident that I am blind. <laughs> so a lot of times, sometimes if I'm, you know, if I'm being cast, you know, as some, uh, you know, as a character, what I'll say is I'll send them a message after everything's official, you know, after they have specifically said in writing, oh, sure, yes, I would like you to be cast as this character in blah, 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 blah. And then I will, you know, in case they haven't gotten the hint, you know, I'll say, hey, okay, great. I'll see you there. And I'll be bringing my guide dog. Is there a place I can put my dog and just tie him down when I'm, you know, when, while we're in rehearsal? And they're just like, oh, crap, she's blind. What do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> so then they'll like, oh, I didn't realize you were blind. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, I just didn't think it was important enough to mention. It didn't feel relevant. That's when I'll bring it up and I'll say, you know what? It wasn't important enough. It wasn't relevant enough. And, you know, don't worry if I need help with anything. If I have, you know, questions for you, I will ask. 
then it's my responsibility to say when I need something. So speaking of questions that possible employers might ask, I'm not going to ask you how you wipe your butt, but I am kind of interested <laughs> in the mechanics of learning music. I was classically trained as a youth when I had limited vision, and I found it very mm -hmm. difficult to memorize every note and be precise about it. Later in life, I picked up jazz when it was a little bit more freeform. And if you know about music and music theory, it's a little bit easier to improvise, play by your ear. But I would guess that opera is not like that at all. So how do you manage with some of that mechanics? It depends on the time crunch. So I have, you know, I, I use um, Dancing Dots products called Good Feel and Lime, which are pieces of technology that I can use to scan sheet music if I have the time to do that and then edit it. And then I have an embosser that I can spit the Braille sheet music out with. And I also have a Polaris, a Braille Sense Polaris that I use to, if, and if, you know, if I don't want to have the hard copy for whatever reason, I will put the BRF music file on there. And if I, you know, if I don't have the time to scan it and edit it and do all that stuff myself. And what I'll do a lot of times, what I'll do first is I'll go to like the Bard site and look to see if it's already been transcribed and depending on the rep, sometimes it is. So then I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll use that to look at my music or if I'm in a real bind, what I'll do is I'll pay like a reader or somebody or a, an accompanist or someone who will plunk it out for me or just read it to me and I'll dictate it or I'll learn it by ear. You know, so there, there are a few different methods and you just have to be really flexible. Yes, it's good to have a variety of tools at your disposal so you can choose the right one for the right job at the right time. Mm -hmm. You talked about getting some of your music from the Bard NLS service in Braille that's already been transcribed. Yes. But I guess there isn't a whole lot transcribed that way. Is it easier these days to get music in a, into a Braille format for yourself because a lot of music these days is accessible electronically and then you can convert it? Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. And I have definitely been guilty of contacting the publisher and saying, hey, do you have the XML file? this and the xml file is basically like you can plug that into good feel and it'll just convert it to braille music for you and i just don't have to do anything it's very easy peasy so a lot of times i'll contact the publisher and say do you have this in an xml file look i have the receipt for the sheet music i bought it <laughs> and more often than not they'll say yeah sure here and then they'll send me the xml file so i understand that braille music when it's just the instrumental notes is kind of written out in one line of braille where do you put the lyrics and how do you match those up with the notes oh so that's actually not too bad so the way it's written is so braille music is indented and usually the text sits above the braille music you know for each line so you know, there'll be a line of text and then right under that indented will be a line of Braille music. And then below that will be another line of text and so on and so forth. So it alternates. So a lot of times I personally use like um, if I'm sight reading, if this is the first time I've seen something, a lot of times I'll read um, the text with one hand 
and then I'll read the music with the other. And if it's slow enough, what I'll do is I'll memorize the text or memorize the music real quick, and then I'll read, you know, follow along with the other line. So it just it depends. It just depends. So in printed sheet music, they try to get each syllable of the text lined up under the right notes. Do they do the same thing in Braille? Yes and no. Yes and no. So you know which syllable is what, just assuming that each note is a syllable. So then you just kind of have to mentally mentally sort that out. Because I know in print, um, from what I understand, they put like a bunch of weird hyphens and stuff like that to, to separate the syllables. And I've always been like, oh, my God, that would drive me insane. Yeah, they do. Because it's not looking at the proper word. But I mean, I guess sighted people are used to it. So <laughs> my concept of opera in particular is that there are lots of times where an individual syllable will be spread out over a whole lot of notes. And so, as you say, in print, it would be O hyphen, O hyphen, O hyphen, and still be all the same O. So in Braille, they do what's called like a slur marking. So you ha- it'll tell you when the slur begins. So, it, you know, in music, the melisma is what we call like, um, you know, a note, uh, you know, one syllable that has many notes attached. So they'll indicate the beginning of the melisma and then they'll indicate the end of it so that you're not still saying oh or ah or whatever. <laughs> it sounds like you've been very successful in your career. You've learned to interact really well with people, make them comfortable with you. What have been some of your major challenges? I'm sure it all hasn't been so easy. No, to be honest with you. And I mean, I think any musician, whether they're blind or sighted or in a wheelchair or not, you know, they're going to experience the same thing or a similar thing where I think the statistic is that you 95% of the things you audition for, you're going to you're going to hear no. So I've, you know, knowing that you go out there and you say, okay, well, I'm just going to hear no most of the time. And every once in a while I'll hear yes, and I'll be really happy about it, you know? And so I just, I kind of have kept that in mind while I hear all these no's. But that said, that doesn't mean it's never hard, you know, to hear no, you know, and a lot of times too, I am very much aware that the reason why some people say no is because of my blindness. But that said, you know, there's also plenty of times where I I will hear no because I might not be the right voice type or I'm just not what they're looking for, you know? Uh, so it just, a lot of it is subjective. And, you know, I try to keep that in mind when I'm hearing no sometimes, or if I'm hearing from a director, sorry, you know, I'm not, I don't just, I just don't see how this is possible. I don't see how we can work with you or blah, 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 you know? And that's always really hurtful and really frustrating because it's like, but I meet all of your other criteria, but it's just this one thing that you're hung up over. Um, And I've, I've definitely gotten that end of the stick a lot and it's always really hurtful and really frustrating, but it's just like, all you can really do is kind of let yourself grieve for like five minutes and then move on with your life. Yes. So you talked about all the times you've heard no. According to your website, you've apparently heard yes at quite a few auditions. What are some of the roles and performances that you're most proud of? I have not been asked this before. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to tell you what's on the website? I think one of, one of the roles that I was really proud of is the role of the mother from Amal and the Night Visitors. 
And the reason for that is because, so I, I had spent a stint of time after I graduated not singing. I, I developed glaucoma and I had to get my, I got my eyeball ripped out. And so I spent a bit of time recovering for one, but also just, I think, emotionally healing from, you know, for spent from spending the last year of grad school, just trying not to be in the hospital <laughs> all the time. And, you know, trying to complete coursework, et cetera. And so I spent a stint of time after I graduated, just not singing, not, not really doing anything and just trying to figure out how I wanted to make my way in the world. And Amal in the Night Visitors for, you know, all intents and purposes was my first audition after not singing for quite a long time. And I was terrified of this audition. And to be honest with you, I was just like, I'm going to call in sick. I'm going to call in sick and tell them that I can't do it. Like the morning of, I was trying to talk myself out of it. And I was like, no, Christina, you have to go and do it. It doesn't matter. Just go and do it. And if you go and do it, it'll be a success. It doesn't matter whether they say yes, say yes. It doesn't matter whether they say no, it just matters that you go and do it. And so I did, I went and I did it and I got the role. And um, I think for me, it, it, it was a huge success because I started not just because I got the role, but because I kind of ticked myself into doing it and I made myself do it, even though I was terrified for one, but, you know, even after spending like a ridiculous amount of time, not really seeing, <laughs> you know, I learned the music like in a week or something. And then I went to the audition and I, and I did it. And I was really happy with my audition process and, you know, honestly, even if they had said no, I would have been fine with the way I had done. And that, that's, that was really good for me. That can-do attitude can make all of the difference. Mm-hmm. And aren't we all lucky that she got back into singing? What a beautiful voice. What follows is another excerpt from Regnava nel Silencio by Donizetti. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Christina Jones, how to find more of her music, and how to reach her directly. So I assume you have a website if people would like to learn more about you or listen to some of your music. Can you tell us what that website is? My website is www.theblindsoprano.com. <laughs> I don't know if there's a link to YouTube on there, but I do have a YouTube page and I can send you guys the link for that. But it's um, basically if you look in the search box for The Blind Soprano, you, you should be able to find me pretty quickly. And if people had questions for you about music or about your experiences, is there a way they could contact you? Oh, yeah, definitely. You could either use the contact form on my website or you could email me at Christina at theblindsoprano.com. And my name is spelled C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A. And as usual, you can find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And if you really want to have some fun, my tip of the week is try listening to Eyes on Success on your smart home device by saying something like, 
Hey, Google, play the Eyes on Success podcast. Sure. Resuming Eyes on Success radio show podcast, 1918 Google Products and Services, an overview, May 1st, 2019, on Google Podcasts. Hey, Google, stop. It's that easy. Give it a shot. That's it for show number 2029. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about cross-country skiing. Participating in sports can not only help to keep you healthy, but can also be a rewarding social activity. We'll speak with Tim McCorkle, president of the Ski for Light organization, about programs run by Ski for Light in which blind skiers can partner with sighted guides to enjoy the outdoors and make new friends. We hope to catch you next week for that show. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.